Good evening, one and all. I'm so sorry about that. Looking back at the audio, it's a bit louder than I would have expected it to be. But I'm sure you're all fine. You're only listening on headphones after all. Hopefully no one listens to this in a car, but oh well. Uh, we are now on to chapter four of my unpublished novel, Shrouded Personas. So instead of sitting here and chatting, how about we go in and read it? Sounds good? Good. Chapter four. The sun is reaching the top of the tree lines once we pull up next to th my shack. I hop off and Jackson carefully hands the jug down to me, barely able to even hold it up himself. I place it down by my feet making sure that no liquid pours out through the small opening in the top as I reach for my backpack. I didn't get all the supplies I was hoping to get, but I still managed to get the more valuable stuff. Though, it's a little surprising that they didn't bother to gather some more Rungyan plants for themselves. They could most likely make a lot of money off of that stuff, as long as they can manage to keep it aligned long enough to sell it. Can you promise me that you won't say anything about us and the night soldiers to Jeffrey or anyone, please? Jackson asked as I tossed my bag over my shoulder and left up the jug with the pained grunt. As long as you guys are no longer part of the, that gang by the time I have to leave, then sure. I answer with a threatening tone, spinning on my heels and heading back into my shack. Wait, so you're actually going to do that job in backmite? Jackson shouts with concern and I don't bother to stop and respond. Yes, I am, I shout back, then walk into my shack, slamming the door behind me with my feet. Going there will help me take in information on the current levels of prosperity as well as the activities of their government. The back my government is an oligarchy, so it's so it's, I'd assume that it would be easy to overhear conversations of their citizens on their opinions of it all. Our government is the Dark Brown Party, the premier being James Jameson Patsy. We use democracy. Setting down my bag, I rush to grab a shovel and carry both it and the jug to my backyard. I'm probably going to have to ask for a favor from either Jeffrey or one of the townspeople for them to make sure that the plant remains watered while I'm gone. How long should this trip take anyway? I'd assume more than a month, especially since I sincerely doubt I'd just be to, uh, it'd just be to arrive at Vacmite, give the people the supplies, then head back onto the boat and go home. Setting the jug down, I begin digging at the dirt. It's not that ideal of a condition for a Rungan plant, but as long as myself and others keep it hydrated, then it should survive for a long time. Long enough for me to use it for potions both medicinal and poison. Both will be helpful for me. I can put the poisonous ones on my weapons, which will give me even more of a favor in terms of combat, and medicinal ones can help both myself anyone and anyone that shows me no threat, like that boy and his mother. The shovel's damaged wooden handle digs into my palms as I dig deeper, dumping the extra soil slightly off to the side. The jar is about a fifth full now, just long enough for me to dump it all into the hole and properly pack the mug, mud down the mud around the Rungan plant. The water splatters and the Rungan drops into the hole. The heart petals become bloated for a moment due to sucking the moisture of the air. 
I dropped my knees and pushed the roots into the earth, using my hands to slide the soil on the side back into the hole and packing it around the rungan. The petals and stem bulge for a few seconds as it filters through the moisture of the air and the moisture of the earth. I kneel next to it, watching as the petals return to their original size and shape, and the soil around it quickly lowers in its levels of water. But it'll be fine. Since there aren't any farms nearby, I don't have to worry about any other plants sucking out the nutrients of the soil, or my neighbors getting pissed off because all of their crops died. Rising back up to my feet, I grab hold of the jug, almost slinging it into the air with its far lower weight now. Glancing up at, a few, at the few clouds, the sun is about three quarters of the way to the middle of the sky. We have just enough time to clean. I have just enough time to clean myself up, then be ready outside for Jeffrey to pick me up. I wonder if Jackson and Daniel are going to be with us today. Surely they'll be extremely tired if they are. Heading back inside, I set the jug next to my door and begin searching for my hairbrush, and enough water to wash all the gr of the grime off. At least if I can't get it all off, then I can just hide the rest with my ponytail until I get the chance to wash the rest of it out again. Finishing up with tightening my ponytail, I examine my clothing. My mouth stretches downwards as the sight of all the mud and blood splattered all over my clothes comes into view. There are still some areas that are wet, but a majority of it is dried and stuck to the fiber of my jacket. It gives me an intimidating appearance. One that would possibly even make the sociopaths of my night school take a step back and avoid eye contact. Though, I'd rather not have Jeffrey see me in this state. The poor old man would probably immediately have a heart attack. Uncomfortably, I undress myself, tossing the raggedy and stained clothes to the ground by my bed. The bed frame is cracked and crooked, but it's good enough. A corner of it also seems to be molded slightly, but there's not really anything I can do about it at this point. There's not much else I can wear other than my clothes from when I was 15. It's almost the exact same as my regular clothes, but slightly smaller and has fewer pockets. It's also a lighter brown, which is meant for younger children, but I'm sure that I could just say that I had no other clean clothes. Pulling on the torn undershirt, baggy tactical pants, and baggy tactical jacket, I suck in my gut as I tighten them around my body. Feeling the clothes wrap around my waist like a corset that's six sizes too small, and pulled till the strings reached my heels. It's difficult to breathe, but not enough for it to actually harm me or affect my vision. The booming of hooves and faint chatter rises as the carriage grows closer to my shack. I throw on my bag, taking a deep breath of relief at the lack of blood and mud on it, then head out through the door. Waving at Jeffrey and acting tired as I make my way over to the horse and hop onto the carriage next to Jeffrey. Daniel and Jackson are in the back, doing a terrible job at acting innocent. Their expressions are fearful, and they continuously glance at each other and myself. Damn, you're actually awake, Jeffrey mentions with surprise as he signals Diamond to start moving again. Did you just wake up? I nod slowly, forcing an exhausted smile. Yeah. But hey, at least I didn't sleep in. He laughs, his joy sounding like any other old man who's content with where he's at right now. Though I know he'd be much happier if he still had his wealth and was able to support and allow Diamond to retire. The carriage is oddly quiet, though I can still sense the tension writing off of Daniel and Jackson. I wonder what happened after they dropped me off. 
Did they go back to the hideout or just go home and wait for Jeffrey to pick them up? Have you decided? Jeffrey finally asked, his voice low and cautious. We passed by a few shacks of children running round out in front of them. Their smiles and laughter are bright and energetic as the parents quietly talk in the backyard, only smiling when the children glance over. I don't blame them. They probably struggle with supporting themselves enough as is, let alone their children. A little boy trips and a girl topples over him. They both start to cry while also checking up on each other. Definitely siblings. I wish I had a brother, but instead he was killed when I turned one. I blink my eyes and pinch the British of my nose, forcing the thought of my family out of my mind, then turn to Jeffrey and respond. Yes, I have. We pass by the shacks and return to the flat, empty plains once more. And? He prompts me after I don't give him an immediate answer. I'll go. But I have a favor I need of you while I'm gone, I add, and he raises an eyebrow, still keeping his eye on the dirt path in front of us. And what is that? He asks, and for some reason Jackson tenses up behind me. I recently came across a Rungan, I answer, and his expression tells me that he recognizes the name but doesn't remember the plant. It's a plant helpful with potion making. Okay, and what do you need me to do? He asks, his voice surprisingly stern. They require a lot of water in order to stay alive. Without it, they'll wither away, I add. While I'm gone, is it fine if you go to my place around twice a day and water it? H how far do you live from the closest river? He asks, and I do the best, my best to contain my smile. It's already a definite yes. On horse, about 20 minutes, I answer, not actually knowing the exact time it'll take to get there based on his quality of horse. There's a jug next to my bed you could use. Pretty much just fill it up all the way, then dump all the water onto the plant. Won't it die if you overwater it? He asks, clearly not knowing much about a rungan. I shake my head, trying to keep an open mind with his ignorance. No, it's pretty much designed to live in water-soaked areas, especially rivers. Well, if you say so, he shrugs, and a part of me has the feeling that he'll most likely underwater the plant due to his disbelief. So what's the job today? I ask. He gestures behind him. We have individual deliveries today, so delivering crops door-to-door. -door. He begins looking around his surroundings as we enter the town of Punam. Oh, so tomorrow we'll get to work preparing you for your trip. So get you violet clothing and so on. How difficult do you think it'll be to get our hands on it? I ask as we begin slowing in front of a decently large shack of sorts. I wouldn't necessarily call it a shack, but it's not exactly a house either. Perhaps a smaller version of something between the two. The logs of the corner of the house are slightly molded and have vines growing up along them. Vines cover the roof, windows, and pathways leading to the surprisingly violent stores. It's like that for nearly all of the homes here. Some, some have more agriculture than others. Plus, the farms in this town are community-run, so not everyone can grow as much as they'd like to, or even grow them how they'd like to. But it is better still in terms of money. They can also just head out and grab the crops when they need them. Though, when they're low on a specific crop, then you'll have to pay a, f pay a fee to harvest it. I'm sure it won't be that bad. He waves his hand in the air and heads to the back of the carriage. Besides, I can just ask that world wanderer guy about where we can buy the clothes. Yes, but the money is still a problem for us. 
Jeffrey stares at my worried expression and snaps his fingers in my face till I flinch. He then places a hand on my shoulder and whispers, Don't worry about it, Timber. Everything will be alright. And that is all for chapter 4 of my unpublished novel, Shrouded Personas. I hope that you all had enjoyed it. Remember, I'll be announcing when the novel is finally up and available for purchase. But for now, I hope you all enjoyed the little audio chapters I'm making of it instead. Check out my novels, Death Trail, Flame Rip, and Arctic Blaze on Amazon and Kobo. Link in the description. Hell yeah, I finally pronounced it correctly. Check out the Crave Ryan Club Patreon. Link in the description. Check out the Crave Ryan Club Discord server in the description. Check out my personal Instagram at dark underscore night underscore wolves. And let's all get a good night's sleep with a freshly painted fantastical picture in our craniums. <laughs>